Welcome back to Gems with Genesis Amaris Kemp. With me today in the hot seat is Jenny K. Wright. She is a phenomenal woman that does some amazing things on the forefront as well as behind the scenes. But here's a bit about Jenny. Jenny Wright, her pronouns are she and her, left her hard-won vice president title and toxic work environment in corporate America behind pivoting back into philanthropy and international development without any regrets. She has relied on her project management, research, and communication routes to dedicate over a decade of her career to consult for nonprofits and international organizations worldwide. Having globe trotted around half the world and living in her ninth country, wow, that's amazing. Jenny is used to thinking on her feet, eating questionable food, and living out of a suitcase. Directing her knack for writing to social media, she gained over 40K LinkedIn followers in a year and is in the process of launching her own blog, A Migrant's Guide, to share hers and other migrants experiences of moving and living abroad. And without further ado, please welcome Jenny K. Wright to the platform. And we will be discussing living and traveling abroad as well as, you know, how do you work abroad? How do you live there when you may not have the experience? So welcome, Jenny. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. So Jenny, you have some amazing things going on in your wheelhouse, and I read your phenomenal bio. That was not everything. So tell us who else is Jenny? Like, what else do you have going on besides what was read in your bio? Because we all know that you could only put so much in a bio. It's very true. And I, I'm sure you saw a little action going on in the background there. That's uh, one of my two dogs that I have with me. So that's been the, the main excitement of this ninth country that I'm in now, Tunisia, because I actually brought my dogs with me this time. So that's been a bit of an adjustment period for both them and me. <laughs> that is amazing. So whenever you were traveling abroad the country, where would you leave your pets? I usually, um, I, I do have a house back in the States and I was fortunate enough to have either friends or roommates that were able to take care of both the house and the pets. Um, but this time around, I was actually going to a country that was pet friendly. So I made sure that I could uh, bring my two little fur babies with me. So that's just, it's very fun. I, I think I have now among the most well-traveled dogs in the world. I, they've been to three countries so far. Some have been to more, but I'm, I think they're quite happy with their, their list of countries so far. That is amazing. And Jenny, I want to unpack your experiences. So you left that toxic work environment in corporate America. I could completely relate because I was in corporate for 15 years and it does become draining over time. And sometimes you get comfortable because you're making X amount of dollars. You're then you're doing all these things, but sometimes you just feel like you're not fulfilled, like there's more and there's something inside of you that is causing you to just bubble up and bubble up. And it's almost like you're going through a birthing process, metaphorically speaking, and it's your passion and your purpose that is being birthed inside of you. And it's time for you to push it out. And in comparison to women who are pregnant, you're pregnant for nine months and then you push out a beautiful bundle of joy. But while, while you're going through that process, 
whenever you're ready to either go through the birthing process, whether it's natural or whatever, there is pain that comes with that. So let's talk about your pain to purpose and what really led you to just take that leap of faith and say, you know what, I've made it this far and now it's just time to leave this life behind and do something that Jenny wants to do. It's a, uh, yeah, it's an interesting metaphor, but I think there's definitely some truth into that. Um, I, I did actually work for the same organization that I'm working for now. Um, what is it now? Uh, 11 years ago. And then I went back to working for, for governments before I got into working for a private sector. So I had tried a little bit of different sectors before I was working for, for this company that wasn't a good fit. But I was so determined to make it work because I was so um, wrapped up in the, the amount of recognition that I was getting and the, the quickly that I was advancing that I wasn't really seeing what was going on around me. But it was great to see that um, it was initially when I was working there, it was amazing. It was one of the best places I've ever worked and everyone really enjoyed going to work. It was um, we were a family. And then the leadership changed and so did the work culture and everything kind of you could just see the transformation and it was incredibly sad to see such a great company really go downhill and I tried my best to to steer it back on track and I just eventually I gave up but one of the great things that came out of that was the fact that I that I realized that I could actually help other companies small businesses startups and nonprofits when it came to consulting so uh, towards the end of my tenure for that company, I actually started my own consulting business. So just like you said, you have that kind of pain, but it also pushes you to do something new and maybe venture outside of your comfort zone. So even though it was a bad experience towards the end, it did lead to something good because I did start my own company and it's been up and running now since um, 2015. And even though it's something that I do more on the the on the side because I mainly work, like I said, with kind of the, the underdogs in a way. So I don't, um, I'm, I'm excellent at giving advice to others how to run their business, but I'm terrible at taking it myself. So I usually don't charge that much. A lot of the work that I do is pro bono or on kind of sliding scale to make sure that I can help those who, who need it and who can't afford um, an expensive uh, consulting firms. So it, that's why I've done most of my work with, with nonprofits, for example, because they don't usually have a, a huge budget to, to get assistance when it comes to various projects. So it all ended well. <laughs> Amazing. And I just hear um, the servant leadership there. And congratulations for starting your own business because it always happens that way in a weird sense. It's like you go through something and when you're going through it, it doesn't seem so pretty. It doesn't seem so glamorous. And it, quite frankly, it really does suck. And then once you get out of that, you you realize, okay, I had to go through that in order to get to where I am now, but I didn't appreciate it then. But then whenever you start to see the puzzle come together and you start to see all the pieces fit together at the end, it's a beautiful masterpiece, right? And so another thing, uh, Jenny, so whenever you live and work abroad, what made you just pull the plug and decide that you were going to leave the States? Well, um, I'm actually Swedish American. So even though I was born in the U.S., um, my family moved to Sweden when I was six. 
So I've, I've been a migrant since most of my life there. And that's why I think I've always been a rolling stone in a way. As soon as I could, I moved to another country. I, I left Sweden when I was 17, I believe, 17 or 18. And after that, I just continued moving, trying to take any kind of either study or work opportunity that allowed me to travel. So it's always been something that I loved, but I think it's also something that my parents ingrained in me since an early age that um, as soon as you reach a certain point, it's time to move again. <laughs> so it's just part of part of who I am, part of who my family is, I guess. I love that. And I think I could kind of relate. So I'm first generation American. So my dad was South American and my mom is Caribbean. So, but I grew up in the States. So a lot of my family from the outside looking in, or some people say the inside looking out, however you want to say it, um, they say, oh, you're Americanized. <laughs> but um, that is interesting. And whenever you think about moving to a new spot, how do you pick the country that you're going to embark on? That's an excellent question. I am not sure. In this case, um, Tunisia was actually a country I really wanted to go to. And I, I spent a lot of time trying to find opportunities where I could move here. But quite honestly, everywhere else I've gone to has been more of a spur of the moment decision based on what I was offered. Um, and it's also just kind of, I, I always apply for, for jobs or opportunities all the time, even if I'm not even looking, I constantly apply and apply. And then I just see what, what I have when it's time to make a decision. So it really is like, you know, spinning the globe and then just pointing somewhere and going, oh, okay, that's where we're going. Awesome. <laughs> so it, it, it's more exciting that way because I've, I've been to countries now where I really didn't know what to expect, even though I, I do love research and I always make sure I know where I'm going. But it's still something that like I often book the ticket and then I find out where I'm going. So that's always an exciting part of the, the whole process, I think. That is amazing. I That is just so amazing. Like how many people you just want to just get your globe, spin it and be like, okay, wherever it lands, that's where I'm going. And then you just grab what you have, hop on a plane and then YOLO, you only live once, right? Exactly. And I think that's something that, um, that's why I, I said like, I definitely am used to living outside of a, like a suitcase all the time. And you just get very used to packing. I, I often get asked like, how do you, how do you pack up your life and just go somewhere? And I go, it's surprisingly easy after a while, because even when I live in a country, um, for example, I just um, 2019 to, to 2020 for one year, I lived in Timor-Leste and I think I moved five or six times within that year. I didn't need to, but I did. And I think it's just part of, um, I am just extremely good at moving. And I just, the, the hard part for me is just staying put. So that's when I don't know what to do with myself. So <laughs> that's probably what I need to work on and train more is actually staying put a little bit longer. So let's deep dive into that. Have you ever thought about consulting people on living and working abroad since you are like a subject matter expert in this um, area? Because I guess like every time that we move, we're purging and we're getting rid of things that are unnecessary. And if you think about it this way, whenever we're flying on an aircraft, they always have us weigh our baggage to make sure it's 40 pounds or 50 pounds, because if your baggage is too heavy and they load it on the plane, the plane is not going to be able to take over a certain amount of cargo because if the plane is way down it's not going to be able to reach higher elevations or altitudes so in our life what type of baggage are we carrying and is that baggage conducive to the altitudes we're trying to reach 
No, I think that's very good. It's a good point. And actually, um, during COVID, one of my projects there was I sold my house that I had down in Florida and I got rid of everything. So it was, um, so, you know, two bedroom house, got rid of everything that was there inside and outside and whatever I couldn't fit in my car. And that includes my two dogs, by the way, who, who are quite small, but still take up space. Whatever I couldn't fit in my car was not coming with me up to Vermont. So that was incredibly cleansing because usually when I go traveling somewhere, I, obviously I have a suitcase, but it's a completely different when you are actually moving all your entire belongings that you want to keep in your life and you don't really have the luxury of storage. So that was really fun to see what I actually need and what I actually want and I think is important in my life. So I now I feel incredibly lightweight, you know, <laughs> in terms of like I, I go, okay, I, I did some shopping here and I said it's fine, I have plenty of room, it's okay. <laughs> so I think that's something that I, I do recommend people doing, even if they want to stay put in the, um, their city where they were born and they want to live the rest of their lives. I do think it's always a good thing to call it spring cleaning or whatever you want, is to go through your belongings and decide do I really need all of this is this really important to me because I think it's something that you can also you can actually donate to someone else who might need it more than you you don't need to hoard it just for the sake of I might use it again in five years you know you could actually just give it to someone who will use it tomorrow so I think that's something that we need to get used to is we don't necessarily need everything we have and it's kind of nice to to now and then, you know, appreciate what we do have and what we want to keep in our life and get rid of that stuff that we don't need and we're not going to use again. Mm. So scaling down and scaling back, um, just being a, a minimalist, because sometimes it's like you have all this stuff and it just clutters around and it's things that you aren't necessarily using. So I've heard out with the old, in with the new, if you never get rid of the old, how are you gonna make room for the new that is trying to come into your life? Whether it's new perspective, new items, new clothes, whatever the case may be. And I wanna dive a little bit deeper into you living and working abroad so based on the nine countries that you have lived in so far what was the the country where you struggled the most and how did that struggle shape where you are now um that's a good question i i think probably the the biggest um culture shock to me was when I was living in Zimbabwe with with frequent visits to South Africa I had been to Africa before um, but it was probably the the first country that I was in where I, I and I had this in Sweden also where I was told to go back to my country even though I might look Swedish I can speak Swedish fluently I was still seen as an as an immigrant and as an outsider to to some people and that was it was always hard even though I felt Swedish, I still um, apparently was still seen as not being quite Swedish enough. And I think um, Zimbabwe was the, the most different and where I, I had a very scary experience where I was really told to go back to my, my country. They thought I was British, didn't really matter where I was from, but um, that was the, the biggest difference to be seen as um, a minority and, and to be like, to see to see other people see you as being a threat based on nothing but your skin color. And that was an incredibly enlightening um, experience to me. And it was something that, it was also very interesting where um, every story that I told or anyone told, you would have to clarify the, the race of the different people in the story. 
Now, for me, that was yeah, <laughs> for me that was something that didn't really matter. If, unless it had something specifically to do with the context, it was something that I never needed to do before and I didn't see the need to do if I'm telling a story about I I went to the supermarket with a friend and we had this funny encounter with someone who was working it, it, it was an irrelevant story but then people would interrupt me and say but but was he black was she Asian was he and, and it was constantly <laughs> and for me it was it was always like but I never even thought about their race <laughs> until I had to think about that story so that was it was a lot to get used to and it was to to recognize that everything that I was saying I was saying um as a young white woman and all those three mattered to what I was saying there was there was I had to be extremely guarded in what I was saying and it's a beautiful country and lovely happy people but it was very different to what I was used to and I had never had to guard and think about what I was saying so much before in my life. So that was incredibly um, life-changing for me and educational, I would say. So I did, I did enjoy that a lot. It was a very enlightening experience for me. Wow. And when you were talking, I'm like, wow, I, I can't believe can't believe that but sometimes you don't know what you don't know and if we don't have these courageous conversations and talk about things like this people from you know the other part of the world or people from the outside looking in they wouldn't know that someone who looks like you experienced something like that because they see things from a different lens a different vantage point and focal point and that's why we have to have these you know conversations to educate to inspire and to motivate others and now that you are in Tanzania and you're settling in, you're liking it and all of these things. What have you learned from this experience? And then I also want you to talk about based on the nine countries that you've been in so far, talk about your top five things you would encourage someone who's interested to live and work abroad. Like the tips. Yeah, so um, I have been to Tanzania. It's a lovely country, but right now I'm in Tunisia. Oh, <laughs> so Tunisia. It's a different part of Africa. <laughs> Both with T, but slightly different. So Tunisia is very interesting because it's in North Africa. So it's very um, different in many aspects from Sub-Saharan Africa because it has more of a, like, a Mediterranean culture. And you had the Arabic um, influences, obviously. So it's, it's very interesting. And there are... Um, a, lo a lot of differences, both and for me, who, who works a lot with migration, the issues are, are different as well, but still, I see the similarities. But here, it's, it's very, I, I guess that I do see a lot of similarities with other Mediterranean countries. So it has similar like lifestyles and schedules. And um, so the people are, are very similar, that the housing looks similar. So it's, it doesn't feel too far away from what, what I've experienced before. So that's kind of nice. There, there are still obviously different cultural things I'm still learning. And, and this is the first Muslim country that I've lived in. So that's obviously um, very educational as well. My, my lovely dogs, I think, have converted to Islam because they now wake up for the first prayer um, called every morning. So they're very excited about that. So that's, uh, they're settling in quite nicely as well. So that's all good. Um, but in terms of like tips for other people, that's kind of why I wanted to, to 
finally launched this blog that I've been planning for the last decade because I have collected all these different tips for people that I've been giving to because people always ask me when they're moving to a new country like what to pack what to think about when it comes to banks or insurances and and like how to find a place to stay and and um, how to find work and so on and so that's it kind of depends where you're going but I always um I always have people think about like not only where they're going and, and what would be easier for them for their passport, but also to think about where they actually can stay. Um, because a lot of people don't think about that. They get the job and then they head over there and they don't realize there, there's so many things that are really complicated for finding accommodation. Um, there's so many like kind of, what's the saying, cart before the horse kind of thing. You need so many different things um, before you can do other things. And it's incredibly frustrating, even in the US, honestly. There are so many different challenges that I had because I moved away from the US when I was six and I returned when I was 26, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I lived overseas for two decades. So I didn't have any credit history. Um, and I also, my driver's license was from overseas. So there were a lot of things where I basically was treated um, like, and many people were get, drawing the analogy to like, I had just been released from prison because I didn't exist to the world. And I was, <laughs> I had to start from like ground zero. And it was also this kind of weird thing where I realized how other migrants felt because it was practically impossible for me to get a driver's license within the, the license I had because it was an international one. So I needed to have um, I needed to have a car in my name, which I couldn't have because I didn't have insurance. And I couldn't get insurance because I didn't have a car because I didn't have a driver's license. And it was just a, this a circle of, of impossibility where I, no matter where I went, I needed something else before I could get what I needed. And I'm just going around in circles for six months. So it, it was um, I think many countries are like that and people don't expect it. They don't realize that you need you know, two or three months worth of paying lots of bills and not necessarily getting any money in just to sort out the basic logistics. So I do caution people when they get the, that job or the study opportunity they always dreamt about because there's just a lot of money because it, it might still take time before you get settled into your new country if you don't have all those logistics lined up. So that would be my, my tip to, to look a little bit further and not just be happy with that the opportunity, but also looking at, is this feasible? Like, how am I actually going to do it in this country? For example, here, you not only need the job, but you need the residency permit and they're kind of interconnected. It can be hard to get one without the other and there is a process to it. So that's why it's challenging for many migrants here to be able to stay and to be able to work because those two permits are very closely connected. So every country has their, their opportunities and, and great advantages, but they also might have obstacles and challenges that you need to know before you go somewhere. Thank you for sharing that tip. And did you have a coach, a mentor, or someone who has done um, something similar to what you're doing now to just kind of give you some guidance, or did you just have to figure it out all on your own? I... That depends where I was going. I What I've been very uh, fortunate with is I've had 
many different there's many different groups that are available on social media like i now i'm not active on facebook anymore but if if there are people who are uh, in international careers and humanitarian there's there's plenty of great facebook groups for example that are very like a, a wealth of information you can ask stupid questions if you're going to a new country you've never been to and you can also search through um, what others have asked. So that's definitely something to look at is whatever social media platform you're on to, to see if there are groups for people who are going to that country or are in the same sector that you're working in. They might already have something where people have, have had kind of a you know, question and answers forum. Uh, also another great resource that I've always loved is the couchsurfing.org. I'm not sure if you've heard of that before. <laughs> it's a it's a very interesting kind of network I, I sometimes compare it to being something similar to eBay and Facebook because it's a way of connecting to people just like any other social media but it's also a way where you can um, give reviews to people so uh, it is one way where you can kind of sleep for free more or less sometimes you pay for it or you give a gift or something but you can stay on someone's couch that's the hence of the couch surfing but some people have like a whole house or a whole room or whatever it may be that you can actually stay in and that's what I discovered when I was a student I was able to travel a lot around the world and if I had some place where I wasn't expecting to be or it took too long or something and I didn't have accommodation I could find someone through couch surfing who would be able to to lend me their couch for the night and I repaid it by becoming a host myself and I had travelers from all over the world come and stay on my couch or in my guest room for example but even if you're not really comfortable with having a stranger on your couch or sleeping in a total stranger's um, house, that's that's fine. But I do think it's still a great um, platform to to ask those stupid questions because there are locals. And just to ask simple questions like, is this neighborhood good? Can I live here? Like, or how do I get around? Is um, is there a bus system? Or do you think taxis, what is a what is a good price for a taxi? So you can ask those to people who know the neighborhood and know the city. And that way you kind of, you have a, you have a friend no matter where you're going in the world. Um, when I'm traveling alone, I always go on couch surfing to see if someone wants to meet me for coffee. And then they give me the tips on what they would recommend if a friend came to town, stay away from the touristy stuff. But those are, that's, that's what I would go to. Use like, use the, the groups and the social media uh, channels that you can to try and find friends that you haven't met yet <laughs> who already know where you're going and who can give you those tips so you don't have to make the mistakes that a lot of people do when they first arrive amazing thank you for sharing that because I learned something new so capturedthing.org yeah it's like couch couch surfing but then uh -huh. um, yeah, it's <laughs> I guess people say they surf on couches I've never really heard that before but I we we did used to have that when I when I was younger, I lived in London. We had a so-called flat share with lots of Australians. It was me and 12 Australians in a three-bedroom apartment, I think. <laughs> but we also had a couch, and uh, that meant that anyone could stay on the couch for the night. We would charge them five pounds per night to stay on the couch, and they were called couch surfers. So I guess it's a term just I'm not very used to using it. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a great site for those who like to travel. And like I said, even if you're not really comfortable with being that close to a complete stranger, they, it is a great thing to like meet someone for coffee, especially if you're on a business trip even and you just want to just do something different than hang out with your colleagues or people at the conference. You can just meet someone there 
And I have, at least in my experience, I have never met anyone that wasn't completely fascinating and an awesome person through that site. But I do recommend looking at the reviews. That's why the eBay factor came in. They, everyone has reviews and you can see that they are an actual real person and that they, you know, they're, they're good quality. So check the reviews, but otherwise happy networking, happy friend making. <laughs> Thank you, Jenny, for sharing that and dropping that knowledge. And as we wind down, I want you to close us out by telling the listeners and viewers once again who you are, how they could connect with you on social media, and leave them with one or two gems. Well, it's been great being on your podcast. Um, So I'm Jenny Wright, and you can always connect with me either on LinkedIn or on, I've just rejoined Twitter. So my handle there is GenCat at ETC, like et cetera. Um, happy to connect on either one of those. Um, and I, I don't know what else to add on that, but I, I'm hoping that uh, within the next month or so that I will be launching my, my new blog, uh, A Migrant's Guide. The idea is to share my experiences and other people that I met along the, the way and any kind of resources and tips that we have um, to give to either um, veteran travelers or first time labor migrants, the first time you're heading abroad, it's hopefully be something for everyone. So I'm working on that and I hope to launch it soon. So stay tuned. Amazing. And thank you so much for being here. And for you listeners and viewers of GEMS, um, you just heard Jenny Wright. She is an amazing woman. Stay tuned for her migrants guide that is launching. That's her blog. And then just a fun fact about Jenny. She is amazing. She did not mention that she flipped three fixer uppers since 2018. And the first of which was featured on HDTV and is working on her fourth her almost endless amounts of energy comes from a strict diet of two-thirds caffeine and sugar with a pinch of ADHD. She's currently based in Tanzania. She mentioned that with her two dogs. So if you want to learn more about Jenny and what she has going on, make sure you connect with her on her social media platforms. And remember, knowledge is power. Traveling to new places gives you a new insight new vantage points, and new perspectives. Do your due diligence and never be afraid to step outside of your comfort zone because when you step outside of your comfort zone and you get outside of the box, the possibilities are endless. And until we chat next time, peace, love, and lots of blessings. Signing out, Genesis Amaris Kemp and Jenny Wright.